when I was a freshman in college. Um, among the stupid things I did, I, I had some friends, and we had this, this infamous stupid line that we would use, and we found a girl that was cute. And so we find this cute girl on campus, somebody thought we were cute, and we'd come up and give him this line, and, and I don't know why I didn't get dates with this line, but the line was this. If I told you you had a nice body, would you hold it against me? I don't know why I didn't get dates. So we're back to this drive, and, and, and ladies are going, you guys, it's all you ever think about. No, sometimes we sleep. <laughs> so we've got this drive within us. We talked about it last week, and if you weren't here last week, please, please go on our, our website and download the podcast because it gives a very broad understanding, a far-reaching understanding of sexuality and intimacy. And so I want to invite you to do that. And what we learned last week is that sex and intimacy are not the main course. And if that is the case, if sexuality and intimacy are not the main course, then we need to understand this next piece of information, which is simply this. God loves my body. So now I want you to say that out loud with me. Ready? God loves my body. Now turn to somebody next to you and tell them that too. Say, God loves my body. Tell them. Okay, now let's dismiss. So here's why. Ask some of you, keep, you're keeping going. Just stop right there. All right. So, so here's the deal. A follower of Jesus in the first century, his name is John. He writes these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing made that has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. That's, that, that word, word, is the word logos. It means divine expression or speech. Divine speech is creative. So when God spoke... Things that had not been there just appeared. Let there be light. There's light. Let there be animals. There's animals. So when this logos, when this word came, when he spoke, what we see around us was created. You say, well, that sounds an awful lot like the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. Exactly. That is the intent. They are interwoven together. For this one, he said, the word came, is the one who spoke in the beginning, and all things were created. He himself was not created because he was with God. In fact, he is God. And then John continues. He says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this creator voice puts on flesh. He does not lay aside his divinity, but he adds to it humanity. And he dwells with us. The wording actually means to set up a tent. Those listening to the words of John as they're being spoken, as they've gathered together to hear what he has written understand immediately what he's saying. Their minds immediately go back to what they have known orally transferred from century to century to century, that there was this time that God took a nation, created a nation out of a man and a barren woman and created Israel. And when God created Israel, his intent was that Israel was to become what Adam failed to be, which was the loving and authoritative rule of God on this earth. 
And God said, you will not be by yourself. I will be with you. And so in these nations, as they would travel together, he placed a tent. As Moses would leave them, there would be this tent there called the tent of meeting. And the glory of God, the very presence of God, this this cloud in the day and this fire at night would come and enter into this tent and God would dwell there. Now, if divine speech is creative, then understand that flesh speech is personal. For when that cloud would come into that tent, Moses would go and enter in, and God himself would speak face to face as friend with friend with Moses. You say, that is just incredible. And now we're hearing this word. That this one, the word has come, and he is himself the tent of God. That housed within him, within this body, is the creative voice, the creative speech, the creative ability, so that as this word would enter in, as Jesus would walk through places and find someone who was sick, he would speak and touch them, and they would be healed. He would be the, the, the personal voice of God, for he would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He would say to a woman who they found having an affair and the Pharisees wanted to stone her, he would say to her, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. And when dealing with lifestyle, he would say, your righteousness needs to be greater than these Pharisees because it's false. And so he came in this body. And now you would think that after he came in this body, that once he was done with his task, he'd want to jettison it and get back to the unrestriction that he had before he put flesh on himself. But God loves this body. This body for the first time in Jesus since the time of Adam now is fulfilling the intent for this body, that this body would be the creative speech of God that we would be able to walk in and where we are, the kingdom of God would arrive. That this body would be the personal speech of God. They called it the good news. The declaration, the kingdom of God has come. So much does God love this body that when Jesus himself died, he did not leave this body, but he was resurrected in a modified body. And Paul the Apostle said he is the firstborn of the resurrection, that others would come after him. Why? Because God loves my body. Say that out loud. God loves my body. And here's why. My body is Christ's body. Now, I have some friends that believe that because they're followers of Jesus and because he is full of grace and truth. The emphasis they really focus on is grace. Therefore, on Friday night, they can hook up. They can have a sexual encounter. Sunday, they will come to a gathering such as this and they will ask for forgiveness because they know God is graceful. And they can leave this gathering feeling like all their holy points are in line and and it's all good. You think? 
I have other friends who believe that the spirit within us is the important thing and the body has been corrupted through ages and the DNA is all messed up and there's just these, these, these irresistible urges that we have and we can't really help ourselves, but it's okay because the spirit is all right and I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and I can do what I want with my body, but I'm okay. Do you think? Paul the apostle doesn't think that. For he writes to the church in Corinth, and we're going to park here for a while in 1 Corinthians 6. And he says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So if I happen to be on the outskirts of Hagerstown, Maryland, when the end of the world begins, I will see my grandpa. You say, well, does he live there? No, he's dead there. There's a cemetery right out there, and if I was happening to stand right there, when Christ returns, I would see my grandpa, because here's what Paul says. In the, in the book of Romans, Romans 6, he said, don't you know that when you were baptized, when you, believed in, when you believed in Jesus, somehow there was this incredible, incredible spiritual happening that you were immersed with Jesus into the grave so that your sins died and the old person you were died with that. You were one with him in his death. And don't you know that when he resurrected, that you also are resurrected to a new life, that you are united with him in his resurrection, that you are one with him. Therefore, I will see my grandfather. I will recognize him. I will see him. For he is a strong believer in Jesus. What transpires next is this. Because we say, well, why do we even want this body? Why doesn't God just leave the body in the grave and, and we don't mess with that anymore? He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is what? A temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God himself. Jesus has actually set up a tent within us that we have become the creative force of God and the personal speech of God. Through his Holy Spirit entering into our lives, we understand that through the giftings of the Spirit, he says, you will do divine miracles, you will, you will bring healing, you will be my force on this earth, and I will give you the ability to prophetically speak for me. For you are now my temple. Because God loves my body. Say it again. God loves my body. We are not just a collection of urges and needs. The Corinthians were saying, you know, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. That's what it is. We've got these cravings. If we have to eat, then we're hungry. We've got to go eat. It just reminds me of the guy who's, who prayed because he, he was on a diet. He said, oh, God, if you want me to have three Bavarian cream-filled Krispy Kreme donuts. When I go by Krispy Kreme, there'll be a parking space in the front for me. And sure enough, fourth time through, he found that parking space. 
We've got these urges. And so they said, if that's the case physically with our hunger, then it must be the case sexually that if I have these cravings, I must be able to fulfill those cravings because I have this drive. It's true. We have the drive. But where is that drive driving us? I go back to a passage we looked at last week. I just want to review it for just a moment. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says these words. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And we read over that and we go, oh, there's this thing for the family and dad and mom and the husband and wife, and oh, there's this thing about Jesus, and we never really tie those two together. Ladies, when you are involved sexually, you are responding to an inner drive. The woman came out of the flesh of Adam. And the goal of man and woman's relationship is to reunite in one flesh. There happens when, when there, there takes place in this, this encounter, in this sexual relationship, this oneness of flesh, there comes this unifying process both spiritually and physically. We talked a little bit about it last week, that there is this release of chemical called oxytocin. It is the same chemical that is released, ladies, when you nurse your child, it is a release of chemical that brings a bonding with that child. That chemical release creates, creates in you this sense of rest, security, and trust. It is the same chemical that is released when you're involved in sexual activity that there is this release of chemical that brings a trust. And that's why we said last week, when you have multiple partners and you establish a trust by sexual relationship and then you pull away and no longer is there trust when the time comes when you want to be with someone forever, it is difficult to establish that trust without really, really working hard to bring a trustworthiness. That spiritual and physical bonding together drives you towards the desire for a new family unit and a lifelong partner. Guys, when you're involved sexually with a woman, she is not just your sexual release. You have become one with her. And this passage talks about that, therefore, you need to nurture her and affirm her and clothe her and take care of her, her very life because she is part of you. The way you treat her is the way you treat you. But he says it goes deeper than that because this has to go, this has to deal with you and Jesus. For you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The point of marriage and sex is not marriage and sex. Marriage, okay, married, fine, we're done. Hey, we had sex, that's great, bye-bye. That's not the deal. Not any more than a window is for itself. A window is for us to see something beyond, and so is marriage and sex. It is to see not only a oneness with that person, but it is to see a oneness with God. 
That's why Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Our bodies are made to be joined with and to serve the resurrected Jesus. So here's why I can't have casual sex before marriage or outside of marriage. Paul makes this statement. Back to 1 Corinthians 6. Shall I then, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So if you are single, we talked about this last, last week, if you're single and celibate, you say, well, wait a minute, then I won't know the intimacy of God unless I have sex. No, 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 because Paul the Apostle says, no, because you have given your life to God and you've decided you're going to remain celibate, then God in that very process will reveal himself in a dynamic way to you and in the relationships that you have in purity, he will reveal himself. And so within, if this whole platform was the realm of God's kingdom and you're there doing that thing, God says, yes, I'll reveal myself to you. If you are married and, and, and there you've got this person and you become one together in flesh, you, not only is that single person the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you becoming one, now together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says now, if you break away from her or if you decide that you're going to have sexual relationships, and he just uses the prostitute here, but it would mean anybody outside the covenant of marriage, and you leave the kingdom of God, and you come and you have a relationship with somebody outside the kingdom that, that God has designed, outside the covenant of marriage. He said it is like, and the actual word is, you have amputated a member of Jesus and united it with someone who does not belong to him. And you have separated yourself from his oneness and your intimacy with him will begin to decline, will begin to descend. When I do this, because sexual relationship is a one flesh union, then sexual sin is actually a sin against this body that God loves. For Paul goes on to say this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I have this drive to be fully known and accepted. The terminology is naked and not ashamed. I have this drive to be reconnected. The truth of the matter is that when I have sex outside of the boundaries that God has established for our safety, I'm actually driving myself away from that connection. I'm losing the ability to connect. And quite honestly, what I do sexually affects this body that Jesus loves. It affects me physically. I want to show you what it does by showing you a, uh, just a secular video, but what they've discovered, what science has discovered about what sexuality does to our bodies. Sexual tastes vary from person to person, but with the current pornography epidemic, as some call it, one has to wonder how exactly this may affect our desires and perception of sexuality. Moreover, how does it affect our sex lives? 
Pornography constitutes about 25% of all search engine requests and is the fourth most common reason people give for going on the internet. And while it may seem to simply facilitate an instinctual sexual response linked to millions of years of evolution, the truth is, pornography has dynamically changed over time, ultimately molding our tastes and desires. The not-so-shocking truth is that pornography has profound consequences for the brain and acts in many ways like a drug. With prolonged exposure, your tolerance is increased and many often find themselves addicted. Though it's not a physical substance, it leads to the same general loss of control, the compulsiveness to seek out the activity despite negative consequences, and withdrawal when it goes away. Much like that of gambling or running, for example. The issue is that continued exposure can cause long-term or even lifelong neuroplastic change in the brain. Dopamine is released as a reward whenever we accomplish something, whether it be eating to sustain life or sexual activity to produce future life. And this dopamine consolidates neural connections in order to drive us to perform the same activity in the future. In other words, it alters and forms the brain cells to motivate certain actions. It rewires your brain. The National Institutes of Health measure drug addictiveness by testing rats. The rat is trained to press a button in order to get a drug, and the harder it works indicates how addictive the substance is. It turns out that the more addictive a drug is, the more dopamine we see released. And while there is, unfortunately, no rat porn that we can give to them, we do know that dopamine is also released during sexual excitement, which pornography plays right into. The more time you spend doing it, the more dopamine gets released, which reinforces the behavior and makes you not only desire it in the future, but require it. And as you begin to imagine these images away from the computer or while having sex, they become reinforced. Furthermore, each orgasm releases even more dopamine, which consolidates the connections made during the session. It's a feedback loop that becomes harder to escape. And just like a drug, your tolerance for visual stimulation has now compounded, making it more difficult to be turned on by reality. Pornography addiction can often lead to finding your mate less attractive. The good news is, it doesn't have to be permanent. Usually when people understand the mechanism and realize it's affecting their relationships, they can stop. The brain is often described as a use-it-or-lose-it system because the neural connections you stimulate grow stronger and desire to be activated, while the ones you ignore become weakened. Much like your muscles, which, if sitting still all day, itch for activity, but after prolonged non-use, they become complacent. Luckily, because of this use-it-or-lose-it brain, the same neuroplastic system that proliferates these habits can also be used to acquire healthier ones. So Paul says, you may think that this is lawful for you, but I will not be mastered by anything. So how? How do we recreate, rewire ourselves so that we desire that which is healthy? Simply this. Knowing God guards and guides my body. It's been a family trait for all of us since mom and dad, Adam and Eve, had this really wonderful relationship with God and this great marriage and this incredible place to live. And yet, through the help of a tempter, they said, if only I had, that's lust. Lust comes from two Greek words, epi and thumos. Epi meaning in, thumos meaning the mind. It means in the mind. Lust is about how much headspace I give to something that I think I need that I do not yet have.
I become obsessed. And eventually it masters me. And so Paul the Apostle speaks to this, to the church at Ephesus when he says these words. So I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I have a friend who has a good marriage. Yet he found himself being attracted to the wife of a couple that they had as close friends. He found himself being emotionally attached to her. They did not physically do anything, but there was this emotional attachment to the place that he was giving her the emotional attention he should have been giving to his wife. He finally went to his wife when he realized what was happening, confessed to her. She forgave him, and they processed through their own marriage to take care of that. Later, he said, the, the, he said this. He said, I can't believe that I actually was attracted to that woman because now that I'm clear of this, I realize we're not even compatible, and there's a whole lot about her I don't like, but I didn't see it then. Why? Paul says because he was darkened in his understanding. The word understanding is, is a word that means the broad imagination. All the possibilities. That in this context, what God has for us, and, and during prayer today, Jason was alluding to this in many ways as he gave us some prophetic words. That there is before us this wonderful, wonderful, imaginative happening that God will make reality. There's just broad spans of what God has given. And the more we thank him for what we have, the, the brighter things become and the clearer we see what he's given to us. Lust takes all of that and narrows it down like this. And we only see this much. And we say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, I've only got this. I'm missing a bunch, and I really deserve a whole lot more than right there. Paul said we separate ourselves from the life of God. It means alienate. We alienate ourselves from the broad imaginative process that God has for us and all the things he's designed for us. We don't see that anymore. We're not connected to him anymore. In that manner, we just see what we think we see, and it's not good enough, so we want more. He says the process goes like this. We, we are no longer soft in our hearts toward God. We are hardened in our hearts toward God. I read a study about pastors who have fallen morally. And one of the key ingredients, one of the the pieces that was similar in each case was their lack of spending time in prayer and worship with God. Because when you spend enough time with God, when you discipline yourself to be with him and to worship him and to read his word and to pray to him, there will, if, if you will, there is this, this oxytocin spiritual thing that happens to us. That he floods us spiritually with a security, and a rest, and a trust. When we lack in that, we don't trust anymore. When we don't trust, we don't believe the truth. And when we don't believe the truth, 
then we recreate our own truth. And our own truth says, I need that and that's okay. He says what happens is then you lose sensitivity. The word means to be void of feelings. It means you no longer feel the way you should, have, you should feel and the way you felt before. You no longer have that sensitivity to God that you used to have. You feel isolated from him. You feel like he's nowhere close by. Therefore, you are even encouraged more to move away and do what he would object to because you don't even feel that he's there. And you start to blame him and you're angry with him. In fact, lust will create anger in you because you're not getting what you think you should be getting and God's not helping. You don't feel what you felt for your mate, for your spouse. You say, I fell out of love. You didn't fall out of love. You you just lost your sensitivity. It is a lack of enjoyment. You say, I'm not enjoying anymore. She said, "I, I deserve to enjoy. I love this line. I'm not happy in my marriage and I deserve to be happy. Who said that? Find that in the scripture. And I don't say, yeah, I'm not happy, so that's okay. No, don't say that. But from that then comes sensuality, which means the inability to restrain, absence of restraint. I say, okay, I got to feel good, so I'm going to go do this thing. So I go do this thing. And then I find that soon it doesn't give me the feelings that I want to have because I'm losing my sense of feeling. So I'll do more. I'll do things. And you get to the spot, you'll go, I never thought I'd ever do this, but here I am doing it because I've lost. I've lost the understanding of all that God had given me. I forgot to give him thanks. I am no longer spending time with him, and therefore I've lost all understanding. Soon it masters me, and I'm out of control. So what do I do? How do I stop this? I think one of the things we need to do is we need to confess the truth. We need to find somebody that we trust and say, man, I'm going through this thing. you got to help me. Somebody you really trust. Come talk to a, a pastor. Come Go talk to somebody that's a close follower of Jesus. Go to a counselor. Go to the great exchange. It's a, it's a great place for that to happen. Confess that, but not only confess to someone, confess to yourself. Say, where am I headed? What is this getting me? What am I doing? If I keep, this go- if I keep going this way, what-, what will happen? If I keep watching pornography, how do I feel afterwards? I feel empty. Well, you think that's going to stop? And you just saw it this morning, you got to go, but I understand my brain's being rewired. i got to rewire it back the way it should be. Confess the truth. Secondly, call out thanks. See what God has given you and begin to give him thanks for what you have. You may be being pulled away from your spouse. You need to start saying, God, I thank you for my husband because these are the things that, that he does good. You may only be able to find one. We'll start with one. Man, can he make bacon. Thank you, God. <laughs> start with bacon. He'll move you from there. It'll open up your imagination to see what God really has for you. Lust tells you that you don't have much. It's a lie. You need to combat that lie by saying, but wait a minute, look what he's given me. Thirdly, change the atmosphere. Like, if you don't like Lake Effect, then don't live here and move to Phoenix. (laughs) 
If you don't like what you're thinking, then change your thinking. And the way you change your thinking is you, you change where you're thinking. If, if you need to rewire your brain and you need to get back to an understanding of God, then you've got to think about God. You've got you to read God's word. You've got to be with people who talk about God. You've got to hear people teach about God. And you have no excuse. There are so many teachings on the internet and, and television and just great teachings out there. And you go, well, I don't know which one's true. Call me, I'll tell you which ones are true. Eriefirst.org. <laughs> there are so many good teachers out there. Saturate yourself. Worship. See, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I don't get this thing where you go to one worship service every five or six weeks because I, I, I've got to be in worship services because I've got to be absorbing the presence of God because there's too much garbage out there that's trying to bombard me. So change the atmosphere. If you are dating someone and you're having, you're having problems with, with holding back from each other, because I'll tell you this, if it comes to passion versus reasoning and you're really hot and heavy, passion's going to win every time. You're not going to be in the middle of the passion and go, oh, wait a minute. Pastor Jack said last week, <laughs> it's not going to happen. You've got to change what you're doing. So if you're having those issues where you're getting sexually connected and you know you shouldn't be, then don't be alone together. <gasps> yes. Go in group dates and don't just stay in your apartment. Yeah, well, she's just going to sleep on the couch. You know better than that. Change that. Put filters on your computer. Install covenant eyes where everything that goes off of that computer gets sent to somebody else so they can kill you accountable. Change the atmosphere. Don't just sit there and say, oh, God, please help me not to lust. Please don't let me lust. And don't change anything. Oh, God, get me out of Krispy Kreme donuts. Please get me out of Krispy Kreme donuts. I'll take another. Please get me out. <laughs> get yourself out. Fourthly, channel your energies. In the same discussion of Ephesians, Paul says this, if you steal, quit stealing. And then he says, but do this. Use your hands for something really good. Which simply means this. If you're kind of trying to get rid of an activity, a process of thinking, not only to begin to change the thinking process, but do something different that's beneficial. So instead of being alone in your apartment where you're going to be tempted, go serve someplace. Go to the city mission and serve food. Go do something that's good for the kingdom of God, for other people. Help people who are poor. Go do something that keeps you focused on doing the good. See, the bottom line is that God loves my body. Say it again. So guard it. Paul says this again in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, and that price was Jesus' death. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor. Honor simply is this. Whatever I do, I go, boy, God's going to like that. That's honor. There's this great story. One of the, actually, the first miracle Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. Jesus went to this wedding. And, and Jewish weddings are just incredible. So they would get together and the families would be together and they would, they would come and the, and the bride and groom would stand under the chuppah. I think we have a picture of that. And what that is is the prayer cloth. It represents the glory of God 
the presence of God, the pleasure of God. They're getting married under this glory of God, this presence of God, this pleasure of God, God's love in this thing. These people are coming together as one the way he designed, and in doing so, they're going to discover more about him. So under that hoopah, they pledge their vows, and they sign a covenantal agreement. So, ah, it's great. Husband and wife, we're done. No, 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 no. No, not a Jewish wedding back then. The wedding party then would take the bride and groom, and they would go to the bridal chamber. And they would take the prayer cloth, and they would place it over the bed where that couple are going to have sex. Under the glory of God, the presence of God, the pleasure of God. Because that's how he designed it. Now, after they have consummated the marriage, meantime, the wedding party's still outside waiting. Talk about pressure. <laughs> after they consummate, they come back out, and now they dance, now they sing, now they drink, and now they eat. And Jesus was there for the whole thing. And I think just the way when he created Adam and Eve and he saw them as sexual beings and he said, oh, that's very good. I think Jesus is standing, going, standing looking at this going, oh, that's really good. Jesus so enjoyed this that he gave them a wedding gift. About 120 to 180 gallons of Trinity Chardonnay <laughs> from the Kingdom Vineyards. That's honor. That's being the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's understanding God. That's understanding that God loves my body. Let's do the same. So say it with me. God loves my body. God loves my body. Now stand. And so I'm thinking, how do I wrap up a service like this? Do I say, everybody who's sexually impure, come forward? That's going to work. <laughs> I asked John as we were moving toward this series, I said, John, do you know any worship, service, worship songs about sex? He said, no, don't none of those. <laughs> I said, could you write one? No, he declined that too. <laughs> so here's how we're going to wrap it up. Whatever you're doing right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing wrong, stop it. Remember, it is time for us to honor God with our bodies. For we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now, through this week, may you be aware of the creative power of God working through you. May you be aware of his Holy Spirit speaking through you. And in those moments of temptation, in those moments of past pattern, may you be overwhelmed with the understanding that God loves your body and has given you the ability to honor him. Accomplish it now in his power. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.